0: This is not a dream. You are listening to the Nelson Podcast network. This is not a dream. This is a dream from visited. This
1: is not a dream. And for most, dreamers. This is not a dream. This is not a dream.
0: This is not a dream. This is not a dream. Now, is time.
1: Explorers in the further regions of experience. Demons to some, angels to others.
0: It was a mistake! I didn't, I didn't mean to
1: help, but it it was a mistake! You can go! Go to hell! We can't. Not alone. You solved the box. We came. Now you must come with us. Taste our pleasures. please. It's a waste of good suffering. For some better suffering, tune your ears to the second installment of mm-hmm. 80s Revisited's Halloween Horror Month 2016 as we talk about Hellraiser. We <laughs> raised some hell ourselves here on 80s Revisited this year for Halloween Horror Month. Surprised it took us 160 episodes to even get to any Hellraiser film right. because, you know, it's, a, it's pretty well known, and especially in horror circles. Uh... But we're back to talk about it today and right now, literally, for our Facebook Live viewers. Uh, Of course, I'm one of your hosts, Trey Harris, with me as always, my own little faithful cinebite, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. For we are also explorers, (laughs) travelers of the films of the 80s. Yes, I am. But yeah, Hellraiser released September 18th, 1987. IMDb gives it a 7.0. Rotten Tomatoes, 63% critics. 73% Seventy-three percent audience budget estimated at only one million dollars. Now Take that in consideration. This film, one million. Child's Play, nine million. Wow. So, I'm just saying somebody mm. knew how to use their money and stuff like that. Uh, however, Hellraiser opened at four point four, quadrupled its money in its opening weekend. Domestically, went on to gross fourteen point five million. Couldn't find any information on worldwide or the rentals. However, directed by the great. Not only director, but also writer, uh, Clive Barker. Also, uh, di- in terms of directing, did Nightbreed and Lord of Illusions. And like I mentioned, he also wrote this film. He also wrote the short story from which this film is based, uh, which is called The Hellbound Heart, which I haven't read, but I listened to the audiobook a few years ago, which he himself reads, and he's got a very creepy English voice. Mm. He talks like this. Uh, so it's actually a really good audiobook to listen to, especially when he reads it, because it's, it just sounds creepy. Mm. So... That's the whole atmosphere. But the really cool thing about this film is that uh, while we're talking about the book, is that it's the film really is like 90% the book. Like he obviously him being the writer, screenwriter, and director translated it perfectly. Obviously because he's you know this Rob Zombie. This is how you write and direct a film in a cohesive manner. Uh, But uh, starring Andrew Robinson. Holy shit! I didn't finish my notes. What do you mean? I uh, usually put what else people have been in. Pull up. Or uh, oh. Andrew Robinson was Larry. Yeah. Sorry, Facebook Live. I'm. I, am, <laughs> I skipped finish. that part. Uh, <laughs> he was Larry. He was also in uh, Dirty Harry and Cobra and a couple episodes of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Uh, Claire Higgins was Julia. She was also in Hellraiser Two. <laughs> and <laughs> oh wait, what did your notes g- say? I didn't know. I, I just didn't put it for the first four.
0: Oh, first four people? Yeah.
1: Oh, I did all the weird. other ones, I just skipped, probably because I didn't know offhand what they were in. Hey, you were right, Hellraiser 2, The Golden Compass, and... Cassandra's Dream as also mother. Also a couple Doctor Whos. Oh, Ohelia, not sure, but your wife would probably know who that is. Yeah, I have no idea who that is. So yeah, uh, and then also Ashley Lawrence was Kirsty. Uh, she was also in 2, I believe, Hellraiser she, she kinda 2. She kind of looks like a Phoenix... Her in, that, in her current IMD picture yeah. she does. Yeah, she was in Hellraiser 2, uh, Red. Not the Bruce Willis one, some other one with Brian Cox and Tom Sizemore. But oh, also I'm in sure Hellraiser, Hellseeker. So, uh, yeah, yeah, she didn't do much too much. Uh, but we'll talk about her in, further in just a minute. And Sean Chapman was Frank. He no. was also in Hellraiser 2. Uh, and that's about it. Uh, some miscellaneous You know, I how TV. people make
0: careers out of that. You know, whenever you're just doing like four things a year.
1: Yeah, but I mean, in all honesty, if you were in some like, if you were a, a decent level character in any of these horror movies, just go to horror cons. That's true. And that's, that's all you true. have to do for a living. I mean, even if you're just charging, you starring know,
0: Ashley Lawrence <laughs> from the Hellraiser series. You
1: know, like, but if you're her, if you're Ashley Lawrence, and you need some money, you like you invest in like a hell in a pinhead statue or something. You know, like or something that you bring with you for your booth, and like yeah, yeah you know, ten dollar autograph, fifteen dollar picture, bam, 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 bam. Especially at a horror con, being a scream queen, you get some money.
0: It, yeah, maybe a horror con, but she probably feels like a whore con. <laughs> just taking pictures <laughs> from well,
1: that I mean, just She seems never like, broke uh, any of the rules, and at least the Hellraiser, so she's not much of a whore or icon. Yeah. Uh, I don't know.
0: I guess it comes down to the fans. Like, if the fans are really friendly, it would feel pretty good.
1: It's, you know,
0: it's It sounds pretty like this. <laughs>
1: I think people would think, like, you know, at a horror con, that's when you get kind of, like, the, you know, I'm not. I'm this. This is society's words, not mine. But the dirty people, the dirtier people in society. Well, I'm not even thinking that. Is I'm just saying because of the stigma of like, oh, you like horror movies, you must be, you You know, like blood gore. You know, must be weird. You must be a weird person. Hell no, I love horror movies, and look at me, I'm pretty well adjusted. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes, (laughs) the thoughts. But see them
0: live on Facebook.
1: Yeah, and see how, you know, look at me, I'm, I look like a professional doctor right now, giving advice. I could be Dr. Oz or Dr. Axe, like, hey, Just you should take these supplements, because it'll make like you strong TV with doctor. your medulla oblongata, all that stuff. Before I Rip it out of your throat and shove it down your mouth. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's the horror aspect. You know, but it's like, uh, horror fans are loyal, yeah. and they love, I mean, there's horror cons all over the place. Uh, some big ones in Texas. Texas Frightmare weekends always like really big. There was one in New Orleans a few years ago. I don't know what it was called. I don't know if it came came back or not. But it's a big thing, you know. So I'm sure like if, even if you're one of, if you're if you were a character one of the main characters in Hellraiser, you could make some money. If you if you're not working if you're not a working actor in between that that's all I'm getting at. You could still work in terms of you know getting some cash. Yeah. Uh, you know. I don't know how much you're gonna get right now, but I'm just saying <laughs> there's ways to market that you know. But true, uh true. And, of course, let's not forget the biggest star of the Hellraiser series, Doug Bradley, as Pinhead. He reprised that role in Hellraiser 1 through 7, not 8 to much of the uh, series fan's chagrin. He was not asked to be in that one. Uh, Nicholas Vince was Chatterer. He was in Hellraiser 1 and 2. Simon Bamford was Butterball. That's the fat one. He was in Hellraiser 1 and 2 as well, as well as Clive Barker's Nightbreed and Grace Kirby was Deep Throat which is the female one and that's not the official name the official name is Female Cenobite Deep Throat's a name they nicknamed her on set not for her the character was mm-hmm. nicknamed Deep Throat and pretty much this was the only thing she was ever in for the most part uh, two sentence synopsis Frank plays the ultimate escape game demons to some angels to others hunt him down so uh, Jesse have you ever seen the first Hellraiser?
0: Uh, seeing that clip and does it. not spark a memory for me <laughs>
1: Hellraiser. Uh, this was a series where I saw the second one before I saw the first one. Again, simply due to the how cable networks for some reason never usually would play the first one. They tend to play the second one a lot, uh, at least when I was a kid. So I always kind of knew of Pinhead. Again, he was, you know, some people might say he's you know JV, but I think in terms of sheer viciousness, he belongs. He's probably the most vicious one of them all in terms of just the, I mean, you know Michael Myers stabs you Freddy you know might turn you into a roach then squish you in a roach motel uh Jason will use whatever lawn piece of equipment or you know is as handy but Pinhead like tortures you I guess Jigsaw does too if you want to count him but not not in this way to where like uh Pinhead literally like pulls you apart and like does nothing it's it this is the original torture uh, porn mm. these films because uh the first two, I believe, are on Netflix. For those if you haven't seen it or looking to you know watch it for Halloween, uh, and then I think Bloodline and some of the other VOD ones are on there as well. Uh, but not everyone not, you can't watch the whole series on Netflix. But of course, if you're you know, know the ways of the internet, you can find them <laughs> wherever you want. But uh, anyway, uh, this was always a series. It didn't scare me, but it always made me like, yeah. And not in like, not because of the films, but because like they were always gross. Just, I mean, body parts all over the place. No lack of, you know, fake blood all over the place. Uh, and just vicious, like the way people are torn apart by chains and are, is absolutely horrid. Uh, and, you know, like, the, the, like uh, for example, Daniel's wife, Andrea, hates blood in any film, like makes her queasy. Like she can never, ever watch a Hellraiser. Like, the first five minutes, she'd be gone. Hmm. Uh, you know, so, th- this is a series, like, you know, I, I, the cool thing about Hellraiser, at least for me, in terms of, as I came into it, again, it came out in the late, it started in the late 80s, in 87, uh, but, you know, it, then you had two and three, and into the 90s, and I think Bloodline was in the 90s as well. I think it had to be, because I wasn't old enough to buy an R-rated movie ticket yet.
0: Oh, wait, never mind, I'm Bloodline, thinking
1: 96, yeah, because right. I saw that in the theater. I uh, had to sneak into it to see it because couldn't buy an R-rated movie ticket at that time.
0: I want to say almost every Hellraiser is on YouTube.
1: <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> In low just, res, but you could watch it. Yeah, you just search. It's watchable.
0: Make it long, and yeah, you can pretty much watch them all.
1: Yeah, so turn the brightness down on your television to compensate from the yeah. <laughs> the little thing they do. I wonder if they even see a lot need to do that because I've noticed less and less that you see those like watermarks they were putting in films to they'll detect just piracy. They'll throw ads
0: on there. That's what they'll do now. Mm. It's like, yeah, show it, but we're going to throw a bunch of ads on it and collect the money.
1: There you go. <laughs> Adapt. Adapt yeah. to the way everything is now. But yeah, Hellraiser, I always, I always liked this series, but it was never one, like, it's not one I know in depth because watching you know Hellraiser once a year in October is enough for me. But, you know, I, mean, I could watch Halloween multiple times in a year because it's... It's such a fantastic film and, and done well. Uh, some of the Jasons, Friday the Thirteenth, I can watch more because they're humorous, they're entertaining. Uh, same thing with Nightmare on Elm Street because you got Freddy. You know, Freddy's always an enjoyable to watch. But then when you get into Hellraiser, this is horror. This is like, this is like the horror that your parents don't want you to watch. You know, if, if I, if I caught my kids watching any of the Friday the Thirteenths or Nightmare on Elm Street, unless they were the remakes, cause I'd tell them stop, turn that off right now, and watch one of the originals. Hmm. Whereas if my if like my young seven year old was watching, I caught him watching Hell Rise, Like ah, look, this is a little out of your you know wheelhouse right now. <laughs> You're gonna have a lot of questions, and this is is actually probably going to give you nightmares. So let's wait on this series here. Let's watch let's watch Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, <laughs> or something like that. Uh,
0: what if it's edited for TV?
1: Well, the thing is like, like TNT version. And we talk about this every year. It comes up about. That same thing, how The Walking Dead is horrific. Yeah. And Friday the 13th are still edited from 1989 or whenever they cut them. But these, like, I haven't, I don't recall, I know I've seen the television versions, but not enough to know how much they cut out of, how much they, the, the, the cuts they're making on the gore. Because, I mean, there are scenes of people getting skin ripped off, head skin, like people's bodies being mauled together in strange hell devices and it's also talking about hell which mm-hmm. in in the 80s you know that wasn't you know if i said hell i'd get slapped in the face like, don't say that word not a, i want to get slapped in the face mom but you know like <laughs> that was a word like don't say that you know, like, who cares hell and of course the film's called hellraiser yeah you know so and of course we we're, we're talking about south louisiana you know the zipper of the bible belt so we you know that's how you, know, you know, a lot of highly religious stuff like that so and that was a community where I live a small suburb of Baton Rouge you know so this was this, it was cool to watch Hellraiser first of all like yeah this is like against everything everybody here believes I'm a rebel pop my leather jacket collar while I'm watching Hellraiser sipping a Delaware punch in 1987
0: you know Over so those were the days <laughs>
1: <laughs> eating candy cigarettes but now they can't make them anymore because it's enticing yeah. children to smoke 87 year old Trey <laughs> Pop leather jacket Cheap sunglasses Candy cigarettes Garbage pail kids Sticking out my jacket pocket Chocolate gun <laughs> Black uh, Water gun Painted black You know yeah. To be cool Or no no, no Better yet The little switchblade comb
0: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got those at the fair
1: Watching Hellraiser Eating candy cigarettes You know Not eating the candy cigarettes But having them Hang out of my mouth <laughs> Like yeah
0: You eat them Once they become all nasty yeah. In your hand You're like eh
1: <laughs> I was on two packs a day you know, <laughs> at my peak with candy cigarettes.
0: Cut it's that an addiction, stuff. man. It is. And
1: it just, the funny thing is, it is, because it's sugar. So, yeah, it like, is. you literally could get addicted to it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Hellraiser is a series, like, especially this first one, acting aside from a lot of the people who aren't in cenobite makeup, <laughs> uh, notwithstanding, it's still a great film. Like, it, it holds up the effects Granted, it's that tried and true 80s idea like if we need to have something regrow, let's film it melting and reverse it. Mm. But it's still, uh, the effect of Frank reassembling is, it's disgusting. It still looks good. Uh, the story itself is, I mean, it's it's fucked up for lack of a better word. <laughs> I mean, it's messed up. It's not something, you know, it's not child's play. Literally and figuratively in terms of the words child's play. Uh, you know. If a Cenobite came after me, I, um, I'd be like Ben, sitting in bed, scared to death with a baseball bat. <laughs> you know, except I, you know, in my mind, I would know that would not help <laughs> whatsoever get me out of this. Uh, and of course, like like every all of these horror series, you know, Hellraiser uh, does go. Uh, I'm not a, again, Let me rephrase that. I'm not an expert on the series either. I've seen them all except. The latest one without Doug Bradley, and uh, one of them, I think the uh, there's one that's where it's like Inferno, I think, where Hell, where Pinhead's barely in it. That's the one I haven't seen, but that's the one I've heard mm. is actually one of the better ones. <laughs> uh, so take from that what you will. But my good friend Randall, who's also my go-to guy on Transformers, is a huge fan of the Hellraiser series. So like he's the one that told me like when ever we talk about like dude, you got to see Inferno because it's like you skip all the other ones, just see Inferno, it's actually pretty good, you know, because it's a different type of Hellraiser movie. Uh, hmm. So, I don't know, I haven't seen it, I can't say, but according to the Resonant Hellraiser expert, which I am merely a student, uh, the expert says that that one's probably one of the better ones. Uh, so, but to me, still, the first one, and in my opinion, the fourth one are actually the best, uh, although two's pretty good, too. Actually, the first four, watch the first four, I guess. Uh, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. Before we talk about when we start talking about the franchise, but uh, the first one, in terms of revisiting it, it's still disturbing. Still holds up. The only thing that's bad is the acting. Uh, I will say this though: uh, who's the what's the girl's name? Ashley Lawrence plays Kirsty. I think she is the hottest, like, sir, uh, last girl kind of type character. Is that in, the
0: one we saw in the clip? Yeah. Uh, she looked like Winona Ryder.
1: Really, you think that?
0: Like. Yeah, like uh, in that clip she did.
1: But you know, that thing right we're watching this part that looks like the apple head from Evil Dead Two that comes in the cabin door. Yeah, like an hour. It looks just like. (laughs) No, but like uh, I think she's like you know you have Jamie Lee Curtis is gorgeous like I think she's awesome she's in Scream Queens again the second season which is pretty good so far if you like that series. Mm -hmm. I'm not big on like uh, Ryan Murphy stuff. I think he jumps the shark really quickly, but Scream Queens is a great series. Uh, Jamie Lee's awesome in it. I mean, she's always a fantastic screen queen. Then you got, you know, Heather Lane Camp. She's still pretty. But I think Christy or Ashley Lawrence is probably the prettiest in terms of the the famous uh, horror villains. Uh, and she's in the sequel and still pretty. And you can see her at the horror cons. <laughs> Apparently. I'm, I'd I'd get my picture with her. Like, you know, back like day with Elvira. <laughs> get my wife to take the picture. Like, yeah, take this picture, babe. That's, but anyway, uh, what she lacks in acting, she makes up for in pretty looks in, the, in this film. Uh, what's her name? Claire Higgins as Julia is, like, frightening. Like, what an evil woman. Like, she's, ex- like, she's a great villain. As opposed to being the human aspect, or the, uh, the uh, Renfield, if you would. Renfield. The Hellraiser being, you know, mm-hmm. Dracula kind of thing. The lackey. Even though she's way more than that. You know, the Igor to the Frankenstein. Yeah. In a sense. Uh, but, and Doug Bradley also probably, you know, as, as funny as Freddy is in the Nightmare on Elm Streets, mm. Doug Bradley is that, but terrifying. Like, said, you know, he doesn't say the one-liners like Freddie, like, you can check in, but you can't check out. He's more like, we'll tear your soul apart. Like, mm. I'm, like, he's not messing around. Like, Freddie plays with you, like, Pinhead's just like, he's gonna kill you. You know, and, like, he's literally gonna kill you unless you say something immediately that's gonna... Weren't they're looking at something else like they do in this film, you know? So, uh but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no, it holds up. It's all it's got the roundabout way. Of what I'm trying to get to, it's still good. uh The the only bad effect in the film, aside from like the early CG type stuff in terms of like the lightning on the box, yeah. uh, is the last scene of the film, which we'll get to that in the trivia. But it's bad. It's bad. Bad. But all the Cenobite stuff, all the makeup, very horrific, still holds up. Still looks phenomenal, even in high def. Excuse me. Uh, watched Young Frankenstein last night at the theater. They had a big special event, and like watching it on that big of a screen in high definition, it's like you could see the the seam of every appliance <laughs> on Peter Boyle's face. And, oh, that's a shame. You know, I mean, but, but that's the price for high def these sure, days. When yeah. you when you watch these older movies, everything just stands out so much more. Mm-hmm. However, some movies. You know, some of these older movies, like this one for like the makeup and uh, some of the other, you know, horror movies that are from the 80s, if you watch them in high def, uh, but they still look good. Mm-hmm. And again, $1 million budget yeah. for this film. And look at the effects in here, and then think about child's play, the effects in that, which aren't bad in terms of like, you know, the animatronic aspect of it. Nine million. Nine times the budget of this Hellraiser. An actually scary film and disturbing, like just with what you're seeing. If you like take that into effect, Mm -hmm. as opposed to Child's Play, with you know, three foot tall killer doll (laughs) running around stabbing things. So, but that just goes to show you. Now, and and not talking bad about you know, uh, was it Tom Holland? I ripped up my sheet, the director of Child's Play. But you know, I mean he he's good at making. Silly horror films. I and by silly, I'm for I don't mean that in terms of like a monster squad, silly to where it's like almost tongue it, you know, it's horror tropes, but you know, a different genre. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Child's Play is a horror movie, Friday Night is a horror movie, but he has it's almost whimsical. Whimsical is too because people you say whimsical, people think of Tim Burton, mm-hmm. but more. Oh, so we're not, I can't think of the right word, I'm looking forward to describe it accurately, but you know, he has those comedy elements or those silly elements that he meshes well. Mm-hmm. Especially, more so in Fright Night than Child's Play, but he's good at doing that yeah. when you look at his repertoire, so to speak. Whereas Hellraiser, written, directed, and based on the book by Clive Barker, and look at the end product for a million bucks. And it I mean in terms it was more this is more successful than Child's Play. Child's Play made 44 million but cost nine to make, so it tripled its budget or five times its budget. Hellraiser 14 timed eclipsed its budget, raking in 14 million domestically. That's not to count uh worldwide and then anything uh the fact that it became a franchise after that. Off a $1 million investment spawned this. So the numbers speak for themselves when you want if you want to look at the quality. Of the series, I would say, and not so much just in terms of box office numbers, but you know, look at the end product for a million, and then you know, you di- you didn't pay for in terms of the budget, you didn't pay for what you got in Child's Play as opposed to Hellraiser for a million dollars and what you got here. Hmm. So, uh, that but that, what I'm getting at is that you know Tom Holland great for that type of film, but then you know this is probably the most horrific movie we've ever reviewed on this podcast based wow. on the other. Halloween horror months that we've done. I mean, because you know, Lost Boys is a fun movie about vampires. Oh, yeah. Cujo's, you know, it's good. Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery is like probably the closest one, but this movie's fucked up. <laughs> Hellraiser is when you, you know, again, there's some silly parts you know, do to the acting or you know the last effect at the end. But I mean, this movie's gross, and it still looks gross is the mm-hmm. big thing. Like revisiting it, and Christie's hot. So. <laughs> But anyway, uh, some of the trivia behind it, uh, during post-production party when filming had ended, Doug Bradley was dismayed to be ignored by the other members of the cast and crew because he had thought he had thought he had a good relationship with him, working with him as well. they were filming, but he didn't realize that none of them recognized him outside of the pinhead makeup. Uh, so he's going around there talking to everybody, and they're like, hey, who's this? Because of course he talks like a proper Englishman when he's not in makeup, but <laughs> he's not talking like this. So... You know, it reminded me of the story about how Kiss, before they took off the makeup and people knew what they looked like, would just walk around the concert before like, hey, what's up, blah, blah, blah. Nobody would know who they are. Same thing <laughs> happened to poor Doug Bradley. Uh, so, uh, and actually the film was supposed to be called The Hellbound Heart, which I mentioned, of course, that is the name of the book, or officially the novella. Uh, but the studio decided that the title sounded too much like a romance and asked Clive Barker to change uh, the title. He ultimately opened the floor to the production team. Oh, I'm sorry, hold on, I skipped the bit. His alternative title was Sadomasochist from Beyond the Grave, which they (laughs) didn't go with, obviously, and promptly refused. Uh, He ultimately opened up the floor to the production team to offer up their own opinions, and one of the 16-year-old female crew members shouted, What a a woman will do for a good fuck, as an ulterior name for the film. Which, if you've seen it, it makes perfect sense (laughs) with the the story of the film, but of course you can't put that on a poster. Uh, But Hellraiser is what they settled on, worked out fine for the series, and the rest is horror movie history and I thought this was pretty funny too, or worked out or serendipitous as well for Doug Bradley, but he was originally offered a choice of roles between one of the mattress movers in the film or the lead Cenobite. He really thought about doing, as since he was a new actor at this point, this was one of his first things, he figured the audience should see his face, so he really heavily considered doing the, moving ma- the mattress mover uh, so people would see his face. But he ultimately decided on the Cenobite role and turned it down, which that is his claim to fame.
0: Mm,
1: you know, yeah. And much like Robert Unglund, Kane Hodder, he will be remembered as, in forever in horror history, as being Pinhead. Yeah. One of the most iconic characters out there. So, good choice for him. Uh, and the earlier, originally, the Pinhead name, much like I mentioned when I was talking about Grace Kirby's character Deep Throat, which was a nickname given to that character on set. That's where the origin of the name Pinhead comes from. Clive Barker always calls the character Priest in the earliest draft of the script, and ultimately just Lead Cenobite uh, mm. in the shooting script. But Pinhead again was a nickname, and it stuck, and it always annoyed Clive Barker. <laughs> so, but it, the actual name of Pinhead is Priest. So, like, just Hell Priest or Priest. Wow. But uh, the funny thing is that. In his latest book, uh, *The Scarlet Gospels*, which combines Harry D'Amour from *Lord of Illusions* with Pinhead, like Harry calls him that, like to piss him off. Like, what are you looking at, Pinhead? Like, shut up, Pinhead. I'm not coming with you, Pinhead, because he knows he hates that name. <laughs> so he, he worked he meted the real life uh, uh, no, uh, nickname of the character into the canon of the character in the books. So that was pretty funny and pretty interesting. So, you know, if you're ever on Jeopardy, what is the name of the lead Cinebite character, officially name of the lead Cenobite character in Hellraiser? It's not Pinhead. If they say that's the answer, you can correct them and say it's wrong. It's officially Priest. Uh, and go with from there. Uh, and here, getting on to the what I mentioned before about the poor quality, the worst effect in the film is the very last shot where the bum turns, spoiler, the bum turns into some sort of pterodactyl skeleton and flies off. Uh but uh, Clive Barker has explained that due to the very limited budget which we know was a million and if, when you look at everything else that's in this film it's easy to see how they, it's, it's hard to see to me honestly how they stretch that to accomplish all these effects and makeup but uh, anyway but it shows here at the very end because uh, Barker says that uh, him and a quote unquote Greek guy animated these scenes by hand over a single weekend a yep. Greek guy? Yeah. <laughs> so apparently he doesn't remember but here's why uh, he commented that he thinks it turned out pretty well considering the amount of alcohol the two consumed over the weekend while they were trying to do it. So, a non effects guy and some Greek guy, according to Clive Barker's words, not mine, uh, and a copious amount of alcohol did this scene. So, that being said, for him to say it came out well under those circumstances, I'm a little more forgiving. However, it's still pretty bad. Here, wait, that's not it. Where? where? <laughs> it's like literally, you were right on it earlier. Oh, I was on it earlier. Right. There, oh, there, there it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's basically a Halloween drone prop you see these days just moving around and flying off. <laughs> uh, the concept of, the, of a cube being used as a portal to hell has its basis in the urban legend of the Devil's Toy Box, which concerns a six-sided cube constructed of inward-facing mirrors and according to legend, individuals who enter the structure and then close it want to surreal, disturbing phenomena that will simultaneously grant them a revelatory experience and permanently warp their mind. Uh, in fact, it's probably an urban legend in every town. Every town probably has a similar legend. But there was one here, uh, like in, somewhere in Louisiana, there's a shed called the Devil's Toy Box. Right. But the urban legend here states that it's basically mirrors inside. When you, and when you shut it, you can't, it's hard to tell which it wears the way out. And if you stay in it for longer than 50 minutes, you go insane. Hmm. So that's the Louisiana version of the Devil's Toy Box, uh, basically an infinity room, infinity mirror room, whatever you want to call it. Hmm. So that's a exist- It was an existing notion that Barker incorporated into the creation of the puzzle box. Uh, the Chatter and Butterball Cinnabites had dialogue in the original script. However, when their makeup made coherent speech impossible, which obviously for Chatter, since his teeth are so far apart, and would look absolutely ridiculous if he's had the <laughs> mouth <laughs> words. <laughs> Uh, They gave all those lines to Doug Bradley as Pinhead, which, excuse me, thus helped make that character menacing and, you know, a horror icon. Uh, Claire Higgins hates horror movies. That's Julia. And, in fact, when she saw this movie the first time at the premiere, she had to leave after 10 minutes because it freaked her out so much. And she, to this day, has never even seen it after that, despite starring in it. (laughs) She needs to revisit it. Well, the thing is, she's there on set with all this blood and gore, but then seeing it on screen, it's too real for her or something? I don't know. I don't understand that mentality. You know? Yeah. This was interesting and also, also I think speaks to Clyde Barker's uh, ingenuity as a director. The studio wanted to cast stuntmen as the Cenobites because obviously they're under makeup and that'll save on production costs. But Barker said no. He insisted on hiring actors and his reasoning was that even if the characters did not speak or appeared under heavy makeup, their body language would still convey a personality, which he's dead right, especially when you watch the film because, you know, stuntmen's... And this is perfectly illustrated as well. I should say, look at the Friday the 13th movies. Up until part seven, when Kane Hodder took over the role, Jason didn't have that kind of menacing body language because he was different stuntmen in every one. Mm-hmm. He just moped along. Especially in three, it looks like some lazy-armed guy just walking around for a leisurely stroll. I mean, it's comical, his movements. Yeah. But then you get Kane Hodder in there. Granted, he is a stuntman, but he, brought, he went into the role making it with the intention of creating a character out of his movements to make it unique and do that, which is why he's considered the best Jason. In fact, the Friday the 13th video game coming out used him purely for all the motion capture. So it is the Kane Hodder Jason that you'll see in the game, yeah. which is awesome. Which, backed, I didn't back it on Kickstarter, backed it, backed it on its second campaign, Backer It or something like that, whatever like the supplemental thing is that works in conjunction with Kickstarter. Yeah. But it's supposed to come out this month, so looking forward to that. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, it took six hours to apply the prosthetic Cinnabite makeup to Doug Bradley, which isn't really too bad when you would think they have to sit there and put in all those pins because I've seen the makeup it's It's just acupuncture it's a it's like you know the face piece is mainly a solid piece but then they have to go in and glue all the pins and then do the detailing so that's what's probably taking more of the time most of the time I would imagine Mm. and this is funny especially reading it before I watch it this time so keep this in mind if you're about to watch it Uh, it was originally set in England hence the obvious London locations but the studio thought that the film would be more marketable if it was set in America which I don't see why Studio heads know a bit more about the industry than I do. So many of the English actors, including Sean Chapman and Olive Parker and others, were dubbed by American actors. Although they didn't do it for Julia for some reasons, which is why she still speaks with a proper British accent. But everybody, uh, uh, Frank and who else? I think one of the one of the other main actors was dubbed in an American speaking, or excuse me, a non English accented person. Wow. To but then when you're watching it, it's like that's not America. Like, (laughs) that architecture doesn't exist in America. Maybe in New England, maybe in, like, a really ritzy neighborhood. (laughs) But you really, when you see, like, some of the locations where they kind of show some of it, it really doesn't look... You can tell that it's not... It makes sense that it's England more so than somewhere in America. And also, Clyde Barker's English. And I'm not sure if the book took place in England or not, but it probably did. Uh, I don't remember because, like I said, I listened to it once. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, uh, character act. This was awesome. I thought funny as well. Uh, Lance Henriksen was offered the role of Frank... But he turned it down, fearing he, if that is successful, he would have to appear in a series of sequels, which he wasn't keen on. But uh, this was 87 when this came out. He just did Aliens in 86, which is doing a part in a, se- in a, in a second part of a series, which if they're doing a second one, they're probably going to do a third, which he showed up in.
0: Well, he was excited about
1: that, but not this. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. That could make well, a million dollar budget. Maybe that was just his polite way of saying they can't pay me enough. Yeah, it's like, I'm not going to do that. But then but again, think about it. Like you know, Had he been. Uh, obviously uh, Frank he would have been in two but I don't think the character Frank appeared in any of the other ones but he did Aliens Alien 3 at the end and then because of that connection he had to do Aliens versus Predator so had he just been Frank in this he only you know hindsight would have let, leads us to believe he would have only been in two movies instead of having to be shoehorned in three but I'm sure he didn't he appreciated the check many years later in AVP to be offered to come back and do that character so yeah and he probably got a lot more for that than probably he would have gotten for Hellraiser 2. So, it probably worked out, but in terms of number of pictures and work involved, maybe not. Mm. But anyway, uh, strangely enough, and he did appear in the Hellraiser sequel Hellworld, which brought Hellraiser into the video game MMO World. Uh, which, I mean, it, it went to space in part four, so where else was it supposed to go? Where else could it go?
0: Uh, but anyway. <laughs> MMO? M- oh my god.
1: But the thing is, like, the MMO, like, that's just the basis for luring the people to this mansion. Like, oh, you were in the game, so you get to go to this party held by the creator to see the new version of it or something. So Uh, it's not like, they're not like, it's not like the South Park episode of Warcraft where, like, they're, hey, what's going on? And And then the low-res pinhead comes out, I'll kill you. (laughs) Which would have been genius, would would have been much better. Uh, This is a year after Warcraft came out, so. Hey, that's that's probably why they, hey, let's incorporate this cool new thing kids are talking about these days. Uh, Since it's actually popular, but he does a Lance Lance Henriksen Excuse me, does appear in the film in the Hellraiser series in that one, but he could have been in much much sooner. So anyway, score wise, uh, as I was kind of talking about before, uh, Hellraiser still holds up to me. It's still a great film. It's disturbing. It's not for everybody. Uh, Aside from some bad acting, every aspect of it's well done, and I give that credit all to Clive Barker and using a. At that time, for a horror movie, a shoestring budget. Because you asked me to guess the budget of this film, I never would have guessed a million dollars. Right in 1987, you know when again, Child's Play nine million. Well, the most you know, if you had have even the average of the films that we cover here.
0: I mean, they had to build that room so the Chucky would fall underneath the couch. <laughs> oh yeah, they had to build the, cost the slanted apartment <laughs> building and
1: all that stuff. So you're right that you know they, had to, they actually had to get you know some guy, a serial killer, to die to put his soul into the doll to animate it. Right. And, you know so. <laughs> I guess that would cost a lot of money. So listen to last week's episode. Yeah, for all that stuff. But anyway, yeah, I I give it an eight. I still think it holds up well. Wow, it's one uh, again. Hellraiser is my favorite series because it's like I I love horror movies, but I can't watch it repeatedly. Twenty-one percent of people agree with you.
0: Twenty-eight say seven. I I mean, I can't argue with that. And, yeah.
1: uh, and also this is a it's a heavy horror film I mean you know you watch something like I mentioned before Friday the 13th Child's Play or even Phantasm like we're talking about next week you know it's it's a little it, well Phantasm 2 well it's more action but uh, that's for next week but uh, you know Hellraiser is you know it's, it's more of a cerebral thinking it's a horror horror movie right there's no blending of genres here it's not horror comedy it's not horror thriller it is pure horror and it's gross and all sorts of stuff so uh, it scratches that itch for a horror film
0: horror fantasy according to IMDB
1: I, I guess it's fantasy because it deals with hell so <laughs> I guess I don't know but uh, I would say I, you know but, but in all honesty in, in video stores in the 80s and mm-hmm. you know there was usually the, the, the section was sci-fi horror and that was everything from Jaws to uh, that sci-fi film called Creature people, some people know what I'm talking about yeah. but uh, anyway in the real world on September 18th is when this released four days later the series Full House airs its first episode <laughs> and a week later Next Generation premieres in syndication so a good time for television depending on your preferences yeah <laughs> you know oh well, if Full House debuted that means we're only a you know, short time later TGIF so there you go well now the franchise talk for Hellraiser eight sequels in addition to the first one Going as low as hell and as high as outer space. Uh, Hellraiser, the first one was in 87, followed immediately the next year. Actually, yeah, a little bit over the, a year in terms of the original was in September. The Hellraiser 2, just in time for Christmas, December 23rd, 1988. Then we have a four year gap before part three, another four year gap for four, and then four, actually, it's pretty much a, almost regular, regularly four years for the, uh, the film. Uh, theatrical sequels, I should say, and then four years later in '96 for Bloodline, and then uh, then they start going direct to DVD or video on demand if you prefer. Four years later with Inferno, two years later with Hellseeker, three years later with Deader, great subtitle for that one. Three years later for Hellworld, and then the last one was in 2011, six years after Hellworld with Revelations. Uh, and actually, if you look at the scores, it's pretty much uh, the consensus is that the first one's the best one and mm. in terms of a, a standalone film absolutely right uh two picks up right after one so it's a go- it's like halloween two, like it's a good supplement to the first film oh but you have to see the first one really to get it uh hell on earth was not really that good but it's great because there's the cd cenobite which is now out, out, pra- practically obsolete technology so people watching it <laughs> are gonna be like what the hell is this but there's there's like a, a club scene and this dj's in it like The Cenobites kill him by making his CDs float, and then like they go into his head, like they stab him. But then they make him a Cenobite, so he's got like he's got no face, but he's got like the scars where the CDs killed him. Mm. And this is the best part: as he's chasing down the girl, a CD tray comes out of his chest, and he takes a CD off of it and throws it as a weapon. Oh, jeez! So he's definitely the worst Cenobite in history. (laughs) He is very outdated. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure they don't bring him back for any of them. (laughs) Uh, so that one's worth watching just for that but Bloodline's the one that actually goes into the origins of the creation of the box and I I really like that one just because it it tells the origin and it goes through the entire story through time from like the 17 or 1600s to like the 90s and then to the future so you're watching a generation this Bloodline hence the subtitle Mm -hmm. of this character family line dealing with the Cenobites in the box and how they each try to stop the box and of course it ends in space which You know, uh, yes, in a sense, it jumps the shark, but in terms of the narrative structure of the story, you know, they're finishing the story here. And I like that about it. Not saying it's a great film, but, you know, you start in the past, present, and then here's the end. So I thought it was pretty good in terms of a story, like I said, a narrative for for the previous ones and that. But then you get VOD with Inferno next, which, again, my friend says... My resident expert, Randall, says that that one's one of the better ones. Uh, score uh, IMDb gives it a 5.6, which is higher than Bloodline, and 3. Uh, so if you want to go by IMDb rating, you'd watch 1, 2, and then uh, Inferno, and then that's pretty much it. Everything else is 5.1 uh, or less, so hmm. if you go by those numbers. But nevertheless, it's eight sequels. Child's Play had six, I believe, so its longevity is much longer than Chucky's. Rightfully so, because I think this series is definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's horror. Where, again, Child's Play, I wouldn't say devolved. It actually evolved from trying to be a horror film into a horror comedy, which is where it belonged to begin with. All right. Uh, and this is some interesting data I got here I'll share with everybody. Uh, if, when, if you compare the Hellraiser film seri- series with the other top grossing horror franchises, such as Nightmare, Child's Play, Friday the 13th, Halloween, Saw, Scream, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and adjusting for the 2008 inflation, so that's when this data was out, so it's already eight years old. Mm. Hellraiser is the lowest series, surpassed by Friday the 13th, which tops the list at $614 million. Uh, Hellraiser is at $84 million. But again, this started with a $1 million budget. Yeah. So if you look on return on investment, it did extremely well. Uh, the Hannibal Lecter film series is second in terms at the Friday the 13th with $573 million, which I don't consider those horror movies. Mm. Those are, I would say, thriller. Although they probably would be in the horror section of a video store, possibly, depending on if it was a big enough like, store to like separate that. horror and thriller. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't consider it a horror movie. It is horrific, but it's not like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I guess I, I, I wouldn't argue, it. if somebody said it's a horror movie, I wouldn't say they're wrong. Put it that way. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So in terms of the highest grossing, according to this list, horror franchises, you got Friday the 13th, Hannibal Lecter. Nightmare is third with 522 million. Halloween with 517. So right on the cusp of Nightmare. Uh, Scream is next with 400 million. Saw with 378, and fi- uh, Psycho, strangely enough, with 371 million, most likely from a lot of re-releases of the original. I would imagine because there hasn't been a Psycho sequel. There's only four, I think, and there hasn't been, unless they count the remake, which I doubt. I don't think that made a lot of money. But uh, last uh, under Psycho actually is Texas Chainsaw Master, which has like six or seven films now, which is surprising to be that low. And Child's Play rounds it out with $200 million and then Hellraiser at only 84 according to this list. But it also should be noted that only four of the nine Hellraiser films went to theaters. Hmm. So this is box office revenue. So four films, it made money off four films so they still made them up until 2009. Uh, Looks like it we went straight to video. <laughs> yeah, and I think the uh, that nine one was like, that was the one that recast Doug Bradley and it, I think that was actually the lowest rated one period of the entire franchise on IMDb with a 2.8. So... <laughs> That is uh, really, really bad. Uh, but anyway, there is talk, as we talked about last week with Child's Play, they have had scattered discussions of remakes. Uh, they are talking about a 10th film, Hellraiser Judgment, to begin filming in early 2016, which it's late 2016, so nothing's changed on there. Mm. Uh, like Re- Revelation, supposedly it would not feature Doug Bradley as Pinhead. Uh, him, but they did approach him with it, but he turned it down due to the production company's refusal to allow him to read the script unless he signed a non-disclosure agreement regarding its contents. So basically that means if he reads it and doesn't want to do it, he can't say anything about it. So, but although if he just said he didn't want to do it and he doesn't say anything, that's good enough for me to say that it's probably shit. (laughs) So, you know. And also in 2013, again, this is old data, data is all we have, Clyde Barker announced that he will be directing and writing the reboot with Doug Bradley playing Pinhead again in October 2014. He, Barker did state that a second draft of the script was completed and described the reboot as a very loose remake of the original film and stated that he may not direct the film. But again, this is two-year-old data, so there's no telling where it is at now. Uh, it, I mean, in, in this day and age where Hollywood's scrambling to bring back these franchises, be a, this is a perfect time for Barker to come back, direct one with Doug Bradley in it again, and have that be the reboot and you know, s- set it up for some other stuff. Uh, or it doesn't have to be a reboot. Again, anybody can find the box, and you can tell whatever messed up story you want to tell right, with this right. series. You don't have this isn't to stick with that. It's all about who's finding this box, and you know, searching. You know, uh, you know, being a traveler and stuff, like they say <laughs> in the film. But anyway, you know. So this is a series like, if you did a reboot, if Barker was attached, all about all about it. Uh, but whether it's a reboot or a remake, I mean, uh, a reboot or a actual 10th film that would work you know Hellraiser X whatever <laughs> you know just if Barker and Bradley are attached to it I'll be seeing it day one I'm, I'm a fan of this series much more than Child's Play uh, so that kind of wraps up the Hellraiser series uh, but anyway back to the future this week uh, the latest movie I saw which is going to be old by the time you hear this unless you're watching Facebook Live uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Something Kids whatever that new yeah, one is yeah uh, that's the last movie I saw uh, in the theater at least uh you know, for a Tim Burton film, I was kind of, I was really kind of disappointing, uh, disappointed in it, I should say. Uh, not saying it's bad, it's just, again, much like Magnificent Seven I talked about last week, this is one that the trailer looked, I didn't know anything about this. Didn't know it was yeah. in production, didn't know it was based on a book, didn't know Tim Burton was doing it. Saw the trailer, I was like, whoa, this looks like really cool. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in this. And Autumn's like, oh yeah, I read the book, let's go see it. Like, oh great, she's excited to see a movie, so we'll go see this one. You know, I'll drag her to everything I want to see, so obviously she wants to see it, we'll go see it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, we were both bored. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, and it's like, what?
0: 7.2 on IMDb.
1: Two hours and seven minutes, it could have been an hour and a half. That, uh, that's, what, that's what hurts this movie, in my opinion. It's just too long with nothing happening. Wow. Uh, the end is great when stuff starts happening. <laughs> but it's just like, I was bored halfway through it. Uh, again, visually, not bad. Not bad acted. It's just slow. Uh, I wouldn't waste, you know, a $30 date night with the, on theater t- movie tickets. To go see it. Unless you've read the book and you really want to see it. Again, not bad. Just not great. Uh, but, you know, I expected more from, you know, Tim Burton, the director of Beetlejuice. True. So, because, uh, of course, you, you associate whimsy with Tim Burton. But lately, in his work, I, I don't get that anymore. Mm-hmm. I just get more, oh, I'm not surprised to see. Although, Helen Bottom Carter isn't in this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, oh. People I, who I, look like her. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think he's as whimsy as he used to be. There's, touches, there's definitely touches, don't get me wrong. I mean, you can kind of tell, there's certain points where you tell it's a Burton film, but when you watch Beetlejuice, the whole time you can tell it's a Burton film. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. Uh, hmm. It, it, it's just, I guess, and he's, of course he's getting older. He's, he's evolved as a director. But, uh, you know, I, much like with Anton Fuqua and Magnificent, uh, Magnificent Seven last week, I expected a little more of some Burton-esque touches in this story. Uh, so, but yeah, if you're interested in it, go see it. Again, not bad, just not great. But uh, don't forget, everybody, drop us a line at 80srevisited at gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing. Leave a review on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, on the internet, at awesomepods for all of those. Uh, and we do have another email from our good friend Ben in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And this one is related to the creep show. So he says, hello. That was totally not even. Australian. I don't know where that came from. That sounded like more like the worm from Labyrinth. <laughs> but anyway, he says, uh, first of all, thank you, Trey. You're welcome for helping you watch Creep Show. I thought it was rather good with Ed Harris dancing being a highlight. I'd rate the segments best to worst. Uh, number one, something tied you over. This would have been better if Ted Danson's character's fate was left ambiguous and Leslie Nelson would have been would be going crazy that he could pop up at any moment instead of the lame water zombies. I completely agree. Yeah, uh, that you know, the ambiguousness to that would have been much, much better suited for that story. Although we wouldn't get the great you know part at the end where Liam Neeson says he could hold his breath a long time, which is funny. But anyway, uh, number two, he liked The Lonesome Death of Jordy, Jordy, Jordy Verrill, uh, second best. The 50-60 music was really good throughout this segment. And I thought Stephen King really nailed the role that made him pretty likable as a dim-witted fool. Exactly right on that second part. Mm. Uh, the Crate. Hearing someone liken it to a Tasmanian devil was unexpected, but Wilma was a complete bitch, so I was happy to see her go. Agree completely. And it's funny because we talk on Facebook all the time, Messenger, and he's like, Oh, they said Tasmanian devil in the crate. I'm like, I thought the same thing. am like, oh, <laughs> If he watches that, he's going to catch it. Uh, number four, he thought out of the five segments, they're creeping up on you. Anything that with that many bugs will make me squirm, but them coming out of the court's mouth at the end was really unsettling. That's pretty much the most disturbing part of Creep Show, I think. Uh, at least the first one. And number five, Father's Day. For fuck's sake, don't lay, just lay there, Ed Harris, or the other characters that just scream at the thing that killed them. Because, yes. uh, of course, Creepshow was two weeks ago. But in that first story, Ed Harris is like laying under the tombstone as he trips and falls. And it's like yeah. every time he moves, he moves, it like, moves a little forward. So, like, you know, he just sits there. And I thought the same thing, Ben, like, just get up, move. But he just sits there, and that's what gets him killed. But it's just like a trope. But he, uh, he mentioned, he thanked me for helping him watch it because I've discovered the app called Plex. Uh, where basically it's your own personal Netflix from like the digital films that you have, hmm. to where you basically you have your computer up and running and if your files the video files are on your computer, it basically same kind of interface as Netflix. You can just log in, get the app on PlayStation, Xbox, or my new TV actually had the Plex apps already Plex, Plex app already built in. Hmm. So just boot it up and then there's every horror movie I want to watch for the month. All the ones I'm going to do cover on the podcast that are on there that aren't on Netflix. and you know good to go. And wow. it's, it's literally the same kind of interface as Netflix. You just scroll through it, push it, and you can also do your music on there. It, it pulls from your iTunes folder. You can do pictures. It's a really cool app. I recommend it. I've been using it for a couple of weeks now. But uh, he couldn't find a copy of Show, so I let him watch my copy by simply saying, here's my Plex login. I'll leave my computer up overnight because of the time difference to run as a server. And he watched it. Just that easy.
0: I thought it was timely. I was listening to another podcast called Cardboard. It's a board game podcast hosted by Rich Summer, who's an actor. He's been in like Mad Men. And oh, so it's,
1: it's not a, a fluent season. A what?
0: Rich Summer. Oh, no, an no, no. No. Season. <laughs> no, that's just his name. But uh, his whole episode, his last episode that I just listened to yesterday, all about Creep Show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, hmm.
1: yeah. <laughs> Strange how I keep hearing Creep Show mentioned around after we did it two I weeks know. ago.
0: But what he did is he took all the segments and applied a board game to each one. It's like, if you like this one, play this board game. It'll make you feel like that. I thought it was a cool thing to do, but I thought it was also strange, like, hey, wait a second. (laughs) Creepshow, he must be a fan. So if you are a fan, let us know. Yeah, you should visit (laughs) at gmail.com. Because no one Uh, else was talking about Creepshow.
1: And I completely forgot to mention all that in the last episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I was Uh, like, wait a second, I didn't give any shout outs or list any of the info. But it's because I was nervous. It was our first episode on Facebook Live. I was just a little nervous getting into it. But uh, Ben goes on to say, I've also watched Creepshow 2, but let's call that Sleepshow, <laughs> because I thought it was pretty boring and came across as a made-for-TV movie, except for The Raft, which was even better than anything from the first movie. Maybe I'm just a sucker for single-location films. Who knows? Maybe, but hey, I agree. The Raft is, in terms of Creepshow 1 and 2, not 3 because I haven't seen it, is the best one, period. Uh-huh. And that's the one that like, made me scared, which we talked about on the Creepshow episode, so you haven't listened to it. Go give it a listen. 80s Revisited on iTunes. Yep. Uh, on to Hellraiser, I actually had no reason, uh, actually had, oh, it's no, but it's put on. I actually had no reason what this was about and was hoping for some kind of Event Horizon kind of trip into hell, which there was a little bit sort of. Uh, more into hell in part two, Ben. So I think part two's on Netflix. Uh, so you'll get a little bit more of into hell stuff in that one. But it's probably not the type of hell that you would imagine. You know, it's not like uh, Bill and Ted hell or uh, what's another movie where they go to hell. Uh, drag me to hell, hell. Mm. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a very unique, stylistic, gothic sort of hell. But it's still cool. But anyway, uh, the actress playing Kirsty was pretty terrible, especially when she had to act horny, drunk, or confused. <laughs> that was pretty bad at the dinner party scene. I thought the chattering... Page flip. <laughs> chattering Cenobite looked a lot like the demon from season one of Ash vs. Evil Dead, but couldn't find any connection on the internet. Me either, but you're exactly right. The uh, blue... Thing like no face, no eyes, but it's got the same kind of chattering jaws. And yeah. me and him again were chatting on Facebook Messenger, and I thought the same thing when I was watching it. Mm. You, could, you could see the inf- you could t- it's influenced by it, yeah. but it also reminded me of the Pan's Labyrinth, the one with the eyes in yeah, the hand, yeah. similar kind of thing. with That you know, no face, but that the gaping mouth and and Pan's Labyrinth eyes kind of hands, but yeah, <laughs> much much bigger. <laughs> uh, he didn't think much of Hellraiser except the practical effects for Frank at the beginning of the of his regeneration. Larry was the most likable ki- kill- character, but he's unceremoniously got killed off screen. Julie reminded me a lot of Pauline Hanson, which is, an Aust- is Aust- Australia's version of Donald Trump with her racist views, so she was then instantly hateable for me. <laughs> that's so awesome. Uh, that's that's all for now. Keep up the great work. She is hateful. There's nothing redeemable about her in the film. Like You want her to die because she's for so sure. evil. Uh, but that's, it Works out good for the film. And if, Ben, if you hate her, she's in part two. <laughs> Do up to our old tricks again. So, uh, give part, I'd recommend part two uh, if you didn't, uh, let's say, if you didn't hate the first one but you want to see more of at least the mythology. Mm-hmm. Two goes into that. Bloodline, you know, yes, it kind of, you know, a lot of people don't like that one but you get a lot of the mm-hmm. mythology of that universe and that's, you know, you could skip three because unless you want to see CD Cenobite or cd Obite. I don't know. Can't tie that in. Oh, right. But uh, anyway, we appreciate it, Ben. And, uh-huh. Actually, I meant to say this last week's episode, since we recorded two at a time, but I just listened to the latest episode of Ben's podcast, so you can hear more from him and that sexy Australian accent, Asia Mania podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just had a new episode uh, just today that I listened to earlier. Uh, so always check them out. Check out our good friends John and James at Now Versus Nostalgia. Uh, so I made sure to remember to do that this week, and we'll be back next week, which we did our, our first Child's Play film last week. We did our first Hellraiser film this week. So next week, we're going to do our first... Phantasm film which unfortunately part one was 78, 79 so it, it uh, missed our decade however we will cover part two which is my favorite of the series <laughs> so we'll go from there but anyway until then we'll see you next week everybody I remain Trey Harris Jesse Sedgley Kawabunga. Cowabunga Facebook.com slash awesomepods And follow us on Twitter at awesomepods